there, everyone. I'm Joe, and I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for listening to our Lincoln E-Free podcast. We are grateful for your support to shine the light of Christ in every home and business in the Lincoln Lakes area and beyond. In case you're not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our bio. We hope you enjoy this week's message and encourages you and helps you to become the light that God designed you to be. With that, let's jump in. I know it's private medical information, but it is my private information, so I'm not breaking the HIPAA rules by sharing it with you. I've had high cholesterol for many, many years. Runs in the family. They've tried this medication, that medication, and it just doesn't bring my numbers low enough. But for those of you old enough, you you understand that those numbers used to be up here and now they're down here. So they keep lowering the numbers on us. (laughs) So anyway, my doctor, Dr. Hudala, said, I want to try something different. See if we can't bring your numbers down lower. I said, okay, I'm game. He says, it's it's an injection that you give yourself, but don't worry, it's not like a four-inch needle you have to put in. It's really quite simple. But it's expensive. I only do that twice a month, thankfully, and I've only done once so far, $75 a shot. So I'm glad I don't have to do it every week or every day. I went back to him, and I talked to the pharmacist, and I said, you know what? This is before, you know, when I first got the prescription, I said, too expensive. I'll live with it. And I said, I'll call Dr. H. So I texted him. He gave me his number, and I think uh, I'm not the only one. It's it's amazing the service that uh, some of these guys provide. I just text him, and uh, I say, you know what? This uh, this is too expensive. I don't want to do it. Well, he found something a little bit less expensive, but the same drug. And uh, he says, I'd like you to try this. And I'm thinking, you know what? I don't think I want to bother. Besides, at that time, I didn't know that it wasn't a four-inch needle that I have to stick in my side every, every couple of weeks. So I didn't like the idea of an injection, even if I can't see the needle, but I didn't know then that I couldn't see it. And then I thought about it for a day. Weighing back and forth, and I texted the doctor back, and I said, I'll try it. 
Got an appointment with a cardiologist in May anyway. We'll try it for a few, mo few months and see if it works. Because if it works, it really is worth it. That's really only 150 bucks a month. I could, you know, if that's going to keep me ticking, that's good. But the, the conclusion I finally came to was the conclusion I usually come to. If the doctor says, I need to try it. We've been talking about Dr. Luke and how he was a physician. Nice traveling companion for the Apostle Paul for much of his uh, life. Nice to have a, a doctor right there. But the ultimate great physician is not Dr. Luke. It's Jesus. And I tell patients over and again, those of you that don't know, I'm also a part-time chaplain at Lakewood Health. Most of our doctors and nurses know that they only succeed as they cooperate with God. Whether they're of an evangelical faith or not, they know it's only God who brings the healing. And so this morning we turn to another episode in Jesus' early ministry. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We'll have, have it on the screen. But if you're like me, you like your own Bible in front of you. Would you stand with me as we read? Been a long standing tradition in Judaism as well as uh, much of Christianity. I don't think you caught the pun, standing tradition. Um, that when the scripture is read, you stand out of respect. When the rabbi or the preacher speaks, you go ahead and be seated. Chapter 5, on one occasion, this is early, most likely in the first year of Jesus' ministry. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. What's the other name for that? Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias. Tiberius had recently named it after himself, uh, an emperor. Uh, but to someone who had seen the Mediterranean, Luke didn't really seem to consider Galilee a sea. It's a lake. He saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, 
put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Did you catch the difference there? First of all, he asked Simon to put out from the shore a little bit because the crowds were pushing in, trying to get close. The, the cliff would have, would have constrained them, and, and they, they were pushing out, and Jesus didn't have a lot of space. He asked Simon to go push out a little bit. Now he tells him, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we fished all night and we got skunked, my own paraphrase. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had just taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left it and followed Jesus. You may be seated. I'm going to break this story down into three pieces. First, the word or the teaching. Second, the wonder, the miracle. And third, the way forward or the mission. On one occasion when the crowd was pressing into him to hear the word of God. I get convicted myself reading that. How often am I pressing in to hear the word of God? Does familiarity with the scriptures breed contempt? Or maybe breed a kind of apathy? Read that before. As a preacher, of course, I love to see people like Derek right now. Look at him. Look at him. Oh, no, no, no. You get down in your posture. That's a, he, he looks more intent than most of you. I, I, I know that's not a guarantee that he is, but I like to imagine that he is. <laughs> Pressing in to hear the word of God. Now, it's a dangerous place to be in the position I'm at with everybody looking at me, okay? Everybody listening. 
and where I get convicted is are they pressing in to hear the word of God or are they pressing in to hear the word of Don? Huh? John tells us in his epistle that each one of you is to be discerning, not just listening for what Don says, but listening for the word of God. That's why we stand when we read the scriptures. I don't want to hear people saying, yeah, but Pastor Don says. Yeah, but Pastor Don said this. What is the word of God? That has been the hallmark of the Evangelical Free Church ever since its inception. I can't say it in Swedish and have no desire to learn, to be honest. But the, the question is, where is it written? Where is it written? That's what matters. Because this is the word of God. And when my words are consistent with this, perfect. And they're not. You better be discerning, okay? So each one of us is to be a student, study to show yourself approved. This better not be the only time the Bible is open in front of you or the words are on the screen and you read it, okay? It's not the word of dawn that matters, <laughs> okay? That word is, that word is gonna fall flat. But Jesus taught. Notice he pushes out so he can be seen and heard. Isn't it amazing how stuff travels across the water? We have to be careful what we say because Jim and Irene are right across the water. They, they probably hear what we're... <clears throat> and he sits down in the boat to teach. I want you to notice that he gives here in this text a public word and a private word. The public word we can only imagine. It's not recorded. But we imagine there are all kinds of things that we read in the Gospels of Jesus' teaching. Not the least of which is that public word meant for every one of us over and over and over again until the day we die is trust God, trust Jesus. John 14, 1. Okay. There's a public word. It's for all of us. You're hearing it. I try to speak just public words. I know more than I want to know of what's going on in some of your lives. But that ought to never come out here for everyone, right? Um, although sometimes I say something general and you think, oh no. You try to connect some dots. Not me, okay? There, there are many times I'm going to say something public and you're going to feel a personal conviction. Don't imagine I'm singling you out, okay? But there is also a private word. 
that God has for each of us. Sometimes the private word is verbatim out of here, and sometimes it is not. It is always consistent with this word. It'll never cross this word. Every one of us hears the voice of God from time to time. I even think unbelievers hear that voice. And it's more of a private word. But it better be consistent with this word. I think of the man who bumped into me at church and I said, oh, how you doing? He said, I've got the best news ever. God has shown me that I should divorce my wife because he's just pointed out who my lifetime partner is supposed to be. I said, no. It doesn't work that way. Got to be consistent with this. When was the last time you got a private word from God? You just sensed in your spirit, maybe. Maybe you actually heard something. Maybe it was through someone else's words. Possibly even mine, but maybe your neighbor's another Christian friend, that you were supposed to do something specific. My wife went to Northwestern Bridal College, I mean Northwestern Bible College. And while she was there, someone she knew secondhand said to a gentleman, God has shown me that we're supposed to get married. <laughs> Time out. When I hear the same, we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> so, first of all, there was, in this private word that Peter received from Jesus, there was a reasonable request. Most of the things God asks us to do are quite reasonable. One of those boats belonged to Peter, and he said, would you put out from the water a little bit? He asked him, please, put out from the water. I want to talk to the people from a little distance so they can hear better. A reasonable request. There are many things in the word and things connected or related to the word that God will ask you to do and most of them will be reasonable. You shake your head and say, yeah, that makes sense. But when was the last time you heard something unreasonable from God? He's regularly in the business of doing that with us. After he was finished teaching, he told Peter, hey, let's go fishing. Out deep, I want you to put your net down. This was not a request in the language. It's a command. Do this. 
Peter needed a command because this was unreasonable. This didn't make any sense. We've been at this all night, Master. Notice he calls him Master, not Lord. Only Luke notes this. And only, other than chapter 17, only in the first nine chapters of Luke, as the disciples are gradually coming to understand who it is they're actually dealing with. You might call anyone a master. It's like, sir. But you wouldn't call anyone Lord, necessarily. Luke notes this distinction. As we're coming to know Jesus, <laughs> most of us think we know him well. Fact of the matter is, now when we look back, back, Five, ten years ago, we say, oh, I was clueless as to who he really was. He really is God. So Peter protests the unreasonable request, just like you do. When you have half a mind, half a thought, that God may be asking you to do something that just doesn't make sense. You talk to your spouse and it doesn't make sense. You talk to a good friend and yeah, all of them support you in your reasonable conclusion that this request, this command is unreasonable. Jesus says, or Peter says, uh, we fished all night. This is, you understand this is totally unreasonable. And you understand, no, I don't know that he said this, but maybe he thought it. How could he not think it? You're a carpenter. I'm the fisherman. But notice what Peter says. It's unreasonable, but at your word, I will do it. All right, this was easy for Peter because Jesus was right there in front of him. He could lip read if not hear it. What about for us? When is the last time God prompted you in something And you protested because you thought it was unreasonable. Have we forgotten that we serve a God of miracles? A God who does the unusual. A God who loves to surprise people. Ask me this, those of you with engineering mentalities as a couple of my brothers. If everything you believe God is calling you to do, if everything makes sense to you, where's faith? Where's faith? Aren't we called to be people of faith? 
Isn't, isn't it true that God is moving us away from sight and understanding? Lean not on your own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your face. So how do you know? If something you believe may be a private word from God, and I know that some of that, that makes some of us nervous, but I think we all acknowledge that God prompts us with private words that are not for everybody else. Just you. Just Peter. He wasn't asking everyone. He wasn't even asking James and John to put their boat out, to go out into the deep and drop his net. No, this was for Peter. I love the little chorus I learned as a, as a kid. Every promise in the book is mine. Okay, you know what? That's not true. A lot of those promises are for the people of Israel or for individuals. Um, I still sing the song. How do you know? if that word is for you. So what, what, what do you do when you wonder if, if it's possible that God is prompting you to do something that doesn't seem all that reasonable? It may be a little unreasonable. It may be hugely unreasonable. What do you do to try to discern Pardon? Okay. There's peace. You, you, you see, am I, does, does this make me more peaceful? Less peaceful? That can be a barometer. Sue? Does it line up? Absolutely. Does it line up with Scripture? It may not, you may not find the words in Scripture but you will find principles that it needs to fit into. Surely. Take a step. All right, you jumped ahead of me. Way to go. There are a number of things, and, and you know, including uh, check with other people, other mature Christians. But honestly, if this is something that seems generally unreasonable, most of your mature Christian friends are going to say, oh, I doubt that he's... Well, because he's not asking me to do that. Why would he ask you to do that? But if you can't shake the, 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 the feeling that God may be wanting me to do something, take one step, as Shirley said, in that direction. And you just pray, God, if this isn't right, stop me or redirect me. When you desire to be led by God, and when there is not unconfessed sin in your life, take a step. If there's sin in your life, the first step is to confess that and get rid of that one. Find forgiveness. Because that's the word God has for you. Repent. Turn around. But take a step. It doesn't have to be that kind of a step. Hmm? 
it can be this kind of a step and see. You know, Gideon was in the Old Testament. He was really cautious. I mean, you want me to attack them with 300 men? I'm going to put out a fleece. And don't we still do that kind of thing? Oh, dear God. In the morning, may the fleece be dry and the ground wet. And then I'll know. In the morning, the fleece was dry, the ground was wet. Don't get upset with me now, but can you reverse that? Tomorrow morning? You know what I find? When you honestly and sincerely go before God, he gives you what you need. He is is wanting to prompt us into taking steps of faith. But he will give you what you need in terms of... He knows how insecure we all are. Yeah. Take a step of faith. So... At your word, the nets went out. Catch of a lifetime. I mean, imagine that in in your chosen vocation or occupation. Imagine just hitting the bonanza. They had not caught fish like this before. They had a fortune in two boats, both of which were riding pretty low in the water. And what's, what's Peter's response? He drops to his knees. You know what? When God shows up like that, you just drop to your knees. You may have thought you were a big shot. Now you discover you're not. God is. And there is a humility that just puts every one of us to the floor. And God will do that for us. It may be a, it may be a small wonder. It may be a big wonder. But when, go, when, when you move from understanding that This wasn't just me working. This was God at work. This is proof. There is a God. And he cares about my little piddly stuff going on in my life. When you you hit that point. Oh, dear God, forgive me. What does he mean? Peter said... I'm a sinful man. What, what, what was the sin? Lack of belief. Lack of understanding of who this God is that you have the privilege to pray to any moment of every day. You're standing before a man who needs a response. You're, 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 you're in a place where something has to happen and in that brief moment you can pray like Nehemiah before the king. Dear God, I need help. And when you see God, one of those moments that just, 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 
God is here. Traveling. Jacob woke up one morning after the dream of the ladder and all of that. It was a dream. But he woke up and this is what he said. Surely God is here and I didn't know it. Surely God is here and I didn't know it. That can happen to you. Anywhere. When I worked at owning manufacturing, pulling parts, I loved driving that big stacker and going up and picking up the pallets and all that. But uh, I had a friend who told me, oh, Don, when I, when I get out into the woods, I just feel so close to God. I said, do you ever feel that here? Blankety blank, no. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Yeah, you can feel that here. He's everywhere. And he loves to surprise his children. He loves to move us. Yeah, I should have trusted him. I'm going to trust him more next time. Now, I want to say something. Practically every wonder... Every miracle of God, every act of God at work, and yes, God is at work in all things. I think we're I think we're best off if we reserve the word miracle for supernatural things. God most often works in natural means. Sometimes he works in supernatural means. But even when he's working in natural means, you and I will hit a point where we say, ah, oh, this isn't just natural. God is at work here through his nature, through things. So, so almost every miracle has a natural explanation. As I was reading one commentary of this text, he said, oh, yeah, you know, you can see those fish on the water, on the surface. Jesus knew there were fish there, and so they went and got them. There's a natural explanation for everything. Another pastor said, feeding the 5,000? Oh, yeah, when Jesus took the loaves and fishes from the little boy and blessed them, that's when everybody pulled out their paper bags and their lunch. The cancer went into remission. Oh, it does that for non-Christians and Christians? Yes, sometimes it, it works that way. Does that mean God wasn't at work? And sometimes both are true. Because guess who made guess who made nature? It's all him. It's all him. I had a sister die from cancer because she believed that God would heal her without going to the doctor. Everybody in her church supported that. 
Who needs medicine? In fact, someone asked Oral Roberts once, you know what, I'm not even going to say that because it's somewhat hearsay about why you built a medical college. There's almost always a natural explanation even when God is at work. When is God not at work? Never. He's always at work. And he's for you. But it's not just about the catch of fish. Not just about setting you back on your haunches and saying, oh my goodness, there really is a God. It's not just about that. It's about the mission. There was a time in my preaching when I, I could legitimately have been accused of caring more about my sermon than the people. Drove me to work hard at that. So wrong. God never cares more about the catch of fish than he cares about you personally and spiritually and that you're growing and maturing as a believer. That you're learning more and more to trust him. And the more you trust him, the more he lets you feel the weight of your humanity. That's what happens when you get older. That's why most young people can't handle, couldn't handle, what many of our seniors can handle. Their, 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 their spiritual muscle has been built up. After time, after time, after time of imperfectly trusting God. I mean, is that a statement of faith from Peter? This is not reasonable to go out and drop the nets. But at your word, I'll do it. And he took the step of faith. From now on, Peter, it's a life-changing experience when you understand the reality of God in your life. You can't be the same. And if your life hasn't changed, believe you have seen God in that light. Be patient. It's about the mission. All through the years, I've wondered why evangelism is the hardest thing to get people to do. Typically, call an evangelistic training session and you and the associate pastor show up. I love the way Becky Pippert in her varsity starts her book called Out of the Salt Shaker Into the World. I love first lines of any books, but this is just classic. She says, Christians and non-Christians have something in common. They're both uptight about evangelism. <laughs> All right, let me, let me give you 
an evangelistic charge that's going to be easy. Pray. Every one of us has unbelievers in our lives. Make a list of them. Pray for them. Just pray. Now, when you screw up enough courage and the situation presents itself, just ask someone. Is there anything I can pray for you about? Or maybe they'll make it easy and they'll share something troubling with you. I'm going to pray for you. Now, you have to discern. It may be too uncomfortable for them to pray right then and there. I like to do that, but it's not always the right course. You don't want to just make them uncomfortable and, you know, looking around at other people, you know, and you don't need to go there. Just ask them and say, I'm going to pray for you and for this situation. Second is service. We're talking about being a four-by-one Christian, every Christian every week, worship, fellowship, study, service. Do something good. Look for ways to serve. Most guys have acts of service as their primary love language. I don't know why that is, but in a room full of guys, I asked, and I've asked many times, and it, it's, it's, uh, it's by far the number one, acts of service. Do something nice for somebody. And when you get to know them, there's one even better way to be evangelistic in that act of service. Let someone else do something nice for you. Psychologically, I say, if I help Mary out, psychologically, I cannot say she's a bad person, because why, why would I help out a bad person? So psychologically, I twist that. Mary's a very good person. Because I did something nice for her, and of course I'm intelligent enough to do nice things for nice people. Pray. Will you join me? Spring is coming. People are going to be getting out, mingling outside a little more. Shining the light means you're praying for unbelievers as well as other believers who need, need your prayer, but it's also acts of service doing for others and sometimes letting others do for you. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you're interested in learning more about Lincoln E. Free Church here in the Lincoln Lakes area, you can go check out our website, lincolnefree.org, and you can give us a follow on Facebook. Have a great week.